children, I have a question for you this morning. What's your favorite Christmas song? Go ahead. I want to hear it. Be brave. What's your favorite Christmas carol? The first Noel. Very good. <laughs> Give me some others. Jingle bells. That's a good one. Deck the halls. Children at heart. What are your favorite Christmas carols? Hark the herald angels sing. All I want for Christmas. That's a good one too. Do you know what the most popular Christmas carol is? That's right, it's Silent Night. Now, apparently, we can actually know this scientifically. You see, beginning in 1978, we began to keep records of copyrights of songs that were recorded. And Silent Night is the most recorded Christmas carol, and by a wide margin, for twice as many recordings since 1978 than the second most popular, which is Joy to the World. Silent night. This Christmas Eve, we will join with Christians all over the world, and together we will sing these words. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Wonder why is Silent Night so popular? It's an amazing song because it seems to transcend both the sacred and the secular. That whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, when the season of Christmas is, is upon us, we all seem to appreciate Silent Night. There's something that comes over it, it, it evokes this sense of calmness, this sense of peace the sense of stillness. And it shapes the way that we think about Jesus. It shapes the way that we think about his birth, that it, it must have been this time of tranquility, this time of peace. There's just a small problem with that. I actually don't think that it was that silent of a night. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't sing the song anymore. I love Silent Night, but I want you to just think for just a second about childbirth. I'm just saying, how, how silent do you think that really was? But even more than that, the Gospel of Luke tells us that on the night that Jesus was born, an angel appeared to the shepherds. And then not just one angel, but a whole host from heaven. I want you to imagine that this morning. What must it have been like for those shepherds on the night that Jesus was born to see the night sky filled with angels? Now, do you know what an angel looks like? Right now, maybe you're thinking of like a little precious moments angel, maybe. The book of Daniel describes what an angel looks like. It has a face of a lightning bolt eyes like flaming torches of fire, arms and legs like polished chrome, and a voice like thunder. All was not calm for those shepherds. What must it have been like for them on that night? A night 
when the silence was broken and together these angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Like a conquering army, the angels proclaimed peace on earth. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Together we've been talking about the four titles given by the prophet Isaiah. That he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting. And this morning, I want us to see together why Jesus is our Prince of Peace and what that peace really means for you and me. So I invite you now, if you're able to stand for reading of God's word. Begin in the prophet Isaiah, chapter nine, beginning with verse six. Isaiah promised, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And now the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I wonder, do you feel at peace this morning? If you're anything like me and our family, this season that we are in, this Christmas season, doesn't feel that peaceful. And the reason for that is because we live in a chaotic world, a world that is filled with conflict, a world that fills us with worry and anxiety, a world that's filled with violence that we see all around us and violence even in our own hearts. A world of injustice, a world of sorrow and sadness. And yes, if unfortunately like me, you went out of the house yesterday and in your car, live in a world of craziness during the Christmas holiday season. Do you feel at peace? Now, when you and I think of peace, so often we think of escaping chaos. We think of escaping conflict. But in the Bible, peace is not about escaping conflict. 
It's about pressing in to the presence of Jesus. To say that Jesus has come as our Prince of Peace is to say that Jesus has come in victory. That title, Prince of Peace, can be understood like this. The word prince is a military term. It's a title given to a commander, a leader, a ruler who has come to fight a battle. And the word that the Bible uses for peace is the word shalom. It is a peace unlike any other peace that this world has to offer. We define peace by the absence of conflict, the absence of noise. When you think of peace, you might think of silence. But shalom is not that kind of peace. Shalom is peace that comes with the transforming presence of God. Shalom is the kind of peace that comes with restoration. Not the absence of conflict, but the complete reversal of conflict. Shalom is the peace that comes when Jesus makes all things new. And so this morning, to understand Jesus as our Prince of Peace, I don't want you to think about the absence of noise or the absence of conflict. When you think about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, I want you to think about the very presence of God come in victory to make all things new. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And this morning, I want you to see why that is in three different ways. The first way that I want you to see this, I want you to know that Jesus has given us peace with God. I want you to look with me in your bulletin or go ahead and get out a Bible. We're gonna need it this morning. Luke chapter two, verse 14. When Jesus was born, the angels proclaimed, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among whom he is pleased. Now, if you've grown up around Christmas, you're probably more familiar with the King James Version. It goes like this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Have you heard that? It's that Christmas phrase that you see all over the place. Peace on earth goodwill towards men. It comes from the King James Version of Luke chapter 2, verse 14. But the truth is, a better translation, more accurate translation, says, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, now those words are a little bit more wooden. They don't quite roll off the tongue. They might not make a good statement on a Christmas card, but I want you to know why there is such good news. You see, because the source of all of the conflict and all of the chaos in this world is sin. And not just sin in this fallen and broken world, but the source of all the chaos and all of the conflict, all of the lack of peace in this world is the sin in your heart and in my heart. Fundamentally, our greatest need for peace is not just out there. 
But you and I need peace between us and God. Because you and I are sinners. And we have made war with him in our sin. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. Chapter 5, verse 10. This is what Paul says. He says, for if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What I want you to notice is Paul says that you and I, outside of Jesus, are enemies of God. I want you to sit with that for a second this morning. When you think of sin, when you think of breaking God's rules, his commands, do you think of it in terms of of a war, a war that you are on the wrong side of battle. Do you realize that outside of Jesus Christ, you and I are enemies of God? We're traitors. We have committed high treason against the king. And every single time that we break one of his commands, every single time that we fall short, every single time that we sin, we are saying to Jesus on the throne, you need to get down because that's my seat. Every single time that we sin, we are crowning ourselves kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. And that means we've made war against God and his kingdom. That makes us his enemies. That means we are in conflict with God Almighty. And friends, can I be honest with you? That is not a war that you wanna fight. In our sin, we are God's enemies. But the good news, the good news the angels announced the birth of Jesus is that peace had come. Not just any kind of peace, but peace among those with whom he is pleased. In other words, the peace that the angels announced is not just any kind of peace, but it's a peace between God and man. How did God make this peace? By sending his own son to be born in our flesh so that he could go to the cross and die in our place so the wrath of God would fall on him instead of us and we would get peace. The prophet Isaiah put it this way, Isaiah 53 verse five. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Did you hear it? Jesus was pierced, Jesus was crushed, Jesus was chastised, Jesus was wounded, why? So that you and I might have peace with God. The Bible calls this reconciliation. I want you to turn again to Romans 5 verse 10 or you can just listen. Again, Paul writes, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
The word reconciliation is a relational term. It recognizes that when you and I are enemies of God, our relationship with him is broken. But to have peace with God is to understand that we are now reconciled. And there's two parts of that reconciliation. It's not only that our enmity or our conflict with God has been removed. It goes further than that. It's not just the absence of conflict. No, reconciliation says that not only are we no longer God's enemies, now because of Jesus, we're his sons and daughters. We're his family. We are his friends. This is what it means to have peace with God. And so this morning, I want you to ask yourself maybe a question that is in the back of your mind. How can I have this kind of peace? The only way that we can have this kind of peace is through faith. Apostle Paul put it this way, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I ask you, what do you believe? The season of Christmas is not just a time for us to gather with friends and family. It's not just a time for us to imagine a more peaceful world absent of the things that war against us. But the season of Christmas is a precious reminder that Jesus Christ was born so that he could go to the cross to die in our place so that we could have peace with God. The second way that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Jesus has given us peace with each other. Not only peace between us and God, but peace between one another. And this is what's so amazing about the angel's proclamation on the night Jesus was born. It's who were they addressing? The angels came to a bunch of shepherds. Not government officials, not their religious elite, not even the high priest. No, the angels came to a bunch of humble, lowly shepherds. Religious outsiders who would ordinarily have no business being the presence of God. Not only that, but the Gospel of Matthew tells us that there was another group that heard of the announcement of Jesus. Wise men from the east, Gentiles who were far off from God's kingdom in Israel, they saw a star and they came looking for the Christ child. Why? Why shepherds? Why wise men? Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus as our Prince of Peace tells us that not only do we have peace with God, but in Christ we now have peace with one another, with those who are nothing like us, those who are outsiders, those who are far off. We even have peace with our greatest enemies. Again, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2, verse 13, this is what Paul says. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, 
You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, I think all of us today are admitting and perhaps being confronted with the reality that we live at a time of great division where people are at odds with each other. All around us there is quarreling, deep conflict between different viewpoints, conflict and division about the pandemic, conflict and division about our election and politics, conflict and division about justice, conflict and division about truth. We live in a divided time. But friends, this is nothing new. People have always been divided. We have always lived with division towards one another. Why? Because our hearts are filled with sin. And we're filled with hatred. We don't like people who are not like us. And this is nothing new. In the first century, there were two groups that hated each other, Jews and Gentiles. Those who are part of the kingdom of God in Israel and the unclean Gentiles who were seen as outsiders, who had no business being in the presence of Jews. And here in the book of Ephesians, when Paul talks about these two groups being divided, being set apart from each other by a dividing wall of hostility, it's not just a metaphor. There really was a dividing wall. You see, at the temple, there were a series of walls that led to the holiest of places, the Holy of Holies. And the holy place, the Holy of Holies, there was a division, a curtain, that no one was allowed in except for the high priest once a year to make atonement for sins of the people. But on the outside of the temple, there was a wall that kept all Gentiles out. And in fact, archaeologists have even discovered a sign point, posted on the temple walls. In those days, this is what it said. Any Gentiles found inside these walls has themselves to blame for their death. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Who's he talking about? He's saying these two groups that hated each other are now one in Christ. Because at the cross, the dividing wall of hostility was torn down. The Gospels tell us that when Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two. And we were reconciled to God, and being reconciled to God in Jesus means that we are now reconciled to one another. And now there is, from two different divided groups, Paul says, there is one. 
by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So I ask you this morning, who are your enemies? Who are you at odds with? There's two ways to think about that. One are secondhand enemies, enemies that are kind of out there. Those who we have ideological differences with, political difference with, those that are not like us, different groups of people that we don't get along with. What Paul is saying is that in Christ, we're one. So I want you to look around the sanctuary this morning. All of these people, if they are in Christ, are your brothers and sisters. That means, yes, all of these weirdos on your pew are now your friends. Those who are gathered with us online, literally all over the world, we are now one in Christ. We are reconciled to God, and now we are reconciled to one another It's not just that our disagreements with one another has been taken away. No, now we are friends because we we carry a common allegiance to Jesus. But it's not just secondhand enemies. You see, all of us have firsthand enemies too. And some of those people whom we are most at conflict live in our own homes. Conflict between spouses. Conflict between parents and children. Conflict between roommates. Conflict between people at work. Who are your enemies? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, love your enemies. Do you want to know why? Because we were once his enemies. And he loved us so much that he went to the cross for you and me. But you see, that's not the only kind of peace. The last way that I want you to know that Jesus is our Prince of Peace I want you to know that one day Jesus will establish peace on earth. This is what the angels told the shepherds that night. Luke 2 verse 14. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, God in his wisdom has in mind peace for the entire world by giving peace to his people. That peace for his people doesn't just stop with us, but he has something cosmic, something huge in mind. This is what the prophet Isaiah had in mind. Isaiah 9 verse 7, it was in our reading this morning. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The reason Jesus is called the Prince of Peace is because he will establish his kingdom and his kingdom will have no end. And where there is his kingdom, there will be peace. Profession of faith this morning was taken from the book of Colossians. You can look there in your bulletin, you just listen, this is what it says at the end. Verse 19, for in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's the incarnation. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. Do you hear it? To reconcile to himself not just you and me, but everything. 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now here's the problem. We don't really feel that right now, do we? We hear these words. We hear the angels telling the shepherds, peace on earth. We hear the prophet Isaiah say that peace in his government will have no end. We hear the apostle Paul in Colossians 1 saying that Jesus is going to make peace by the blood of his cross, peace for all things, and yet we look around and we don't see peace. We see conflict. We see division. We look in our own hearts and we see chaos. We feel that, don't we? We're worried and we're anxious. We don't feel like there is peace. And so the question that we have to ask is if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, then where do we see peace on earth? When all we see is division and strife, and addiction and difficulty and pain. One of my favorite Christmas carols doesn't make the top 40 list. It's not as popular as some of the others, but this is how it goes. I heard the bells on Christmas day their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The words of that refrain came straight from Luke 2 verse 14. What you might not realize is that it's actually a poem written by the American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He wrote this poem at a time when there was no peace. He wrote it during the Civil War. Two years before he wrote these words, his wife died in a fire. A year before he wrote these words, his son, in secret, went off to fight in the Civil War without his blessing. So the reason why I love this Christmas song is because it's honest. And these are the words of one of the final stanzas. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I wonder if you feel that way. As you look around our world, do you feel like the brokenness and the pain and the sorrow and sadness and yes, even the hate, do you feel like it mocks the statement, the phrase, the beauty, the promise, the proclamation that there will be peace on earth? But you see, his poem ends with hope. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. In the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your worry, in the midst of your sadness and sorrow, in the midst of chaos and conflict, my question to you and me this morning is this. Where do you find peace? 2,000 years ago, a host from heaven proclaimed at the first advent, peace on earth. And now we wait. In this advent, we're waiting for the heavenly host to come and proclaim peace once and for all. And when they fill the skies again, this is what they'll say.
the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of mighty waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Jesus, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace has another name. He's King of Kings, and he's Lord of Lords, and one day he will come again, and he will establish peace as a conquering warrior. The King is coming. He is come, and he will come again to make peace for you and for me and for all things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of the Advent season, and we're even more thankful that on this fourth and final Sunday of Advent, we get to turn the page. And we now turn from our waiting to the arrival of your son Jesus at his birth. So we pray even now as we sing this final Christmas carol together, you would begin to give us great expectation, not only for the birth of Jesus, but would you give us faith and hope and great expectation that your son Jesus, our Prince of Peace, will come again. Lord, do this in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.